Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, page 1422 in the church Bibles here. Matthew chapter 28. Finally, after uh, five years and 128 sermons, we have come to the final chapter of this gospel chapter that describes uh, the glorious resurrection of our Lord in the first part and his uh, uh, the great commission that he gave to us in the last part. Uh, it was actually September, I went back into my records, it was actually September 9, 2018 when the first message in Matthew was preached. Uh, during COVID time we took a break and we were dealing with other subjects. And the first message was based on Matthew 1.1. And I titled that message as The Promise-Keeping God. In Matthew 1.1, this is how Matthew opens his gospel. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is writing his gospel to a Jewish audience to show to them that Jesus is this promised Messiah coming down the line of Abraham, fulfilling the promises given to Abraham, and the promises given to David uh, that he would be a blessing to all nations and he will also bring in God's everlasting kingdom. He will be the sovereign king. And here in Matthew 28, we find those promises starting to get fulfilled. The kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom still awaits future time, but him Jesus providing the spiritual blessing and him getting ready to come back as the king. None of that would be possible if Jesus did not rise from the dead. So everything hinges on the resurrection. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Verses 1 through 15 is what our focus is going to be this morning. By the way, no other religion, no other literature mentions the subject of resurrection. Why? Because no other religion can say their leader rose from the dead. In fact, the tombs of many other religious leaders are being heavily guarded. There is nothing to guard in terms of Jesus' tomb. Nothing to guard. It's an empty tomb. We have a savior as we sang those Lovely songs. We have a savior who has conquered death. Let's not lose sight of that. We are so focused on the temporary today, tomorrow. We lose sight of eternity. The duration of eternity always outlasts our present life. Always. If we keep our eyes on what awaits all who put their trust in Jesus for eternity, we can live through this temporary journey. It's a very brief moment with joy, with hope. Some of you may be here today. A lot of fears, anxieties. You feel all hope is lost. Yesterday, uh, I received a call from uh, Serbia. One of my brothers is visiting there and he was recounting a 
By the way, he went to visit uh, Danny and Vera, the ministry we support. Uh, blessed there. He said, we're talking about uh, Abraham and uh, Romans 4. Against all hope, Abraham hoped. You're here today, you have no hope. But I want to tell you the resurrection of Jesus gives you that hope. All fear is gone because he lives. So let's joyfully read these 15 verses. And I'll pray and then we'll look into them closely. Matthew 28 beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 5, the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day, the time when Matthew wrote his gospel. May the Lord bless these words which is given to us. Let's pray. Lord, because you live, we will also live as a promise you gave to the troubled disciples that night you were going to be betrayed. And this passage reminds us that not one single word of yours will fail to come to pass. You are a savior who cannot lie. Lord, I'm a weak, sinful human being. How can I ever do justice to this passage that talks about the greatest event in history, your glorious resurrection? So I submit myself, myself completely at your feet pleading with you to speak to all of us in the power of your Holy Spirit. The same power that raised you from the dead, may that power be experienced by all of us as I speak and as we all come under the authority of your word. 
you bless those hearts that are broken and contrite and who tremble at your word. Give us that kind of a heart today and fulfill all your glorious purposes for bringing us all together and in bringing this passage that you have ordained eternity past to be preached in this assembly this morning. I thank you for all your mercies. Help us, Lord, to joyfully enter into this text and be refreshed. And for those who are still far away from you, help them to find new life as a result of this passage today. In your name I pray. Amen. Now in this section that speaks about Jesus' resurrection, if you notice carefully that word afraid appears four times. Verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him, referring to the angel. Verse 5, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. Verse 8, so the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Then verse 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Four times you hear that word, afraid. But if you look further into the text, you find from heaven's perspective, there are two responses regarding this fear that surrounded the resurrection story. There's a word of comfort given to those who put their faith in Jesus. Do not be afraid. Spoken twice. Once by the angel and second by the Lord Jesus himself. It's a word of comfort. But no word of comfort is given to those unbelieving guards. What's the point, you may ask? I think this is what Matthew is trying to convey to us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, those who are his followers, truly his disciples, no longer need to live in fear but can live with joy. It's a word of comfort. But for those who are not his followers, they should be in great fear because the resurrection now sets the stage for him to return as the judge and king of all the universe. So comfort, if you're sitting here today as a Christian, truly, not just by name, not because you were born in a Christian home or you've been going to church for many years. I'm talking about truly in your heart. Jesus is all that matters to you. He is your Lord. He is your King. Comfort for you. But if not, it's a warning, a severe warning. You can listen to the warning and humble yourself and cry out to Jesus to save you so you can leave with the great comfort in your heart. So you don't have to leave the same way you came. I hope the warning God works in your heart to turn to Christ. So comfort if you're a Christian, warning if you're not yet 
a Christian. Remember two weeks ago, for those of you who were here, we saw Jesus being buried before sundown on Friday because the Sabbath started. Sabbath started Friday, 6 p.m. would end 6 p.m. Saturday evening. No work could be done. The next day was Saturday and uh, the day that the Jews celebrated Sabbath. We pick up the story early morning the following day, Sunday, first day of the week. The day the church later would set apart as the Lord's day, the day he rose from the dead as a significant day to meet for worship. Acts chapter 20 verse 7 and 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 2 talks about that. And guess we guess who we see again? Beginning of chapter 28, we see a few of the faithful women. We've been seeing at the last part of uh, last chapter. The women were there at the cross when Jesus died. The women were there at the tomb when Jesus was buried. And here they are again, coming towards the tomb. They don't know Jesus is going to be raised. Remember, they didn't believe. So they're coming. Why are they coming? Matthew doesn't tell us that, but uh, Mark, another gospel writer, tells us that they they brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. Remember I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, because it was Sabbath and they cannot work, so Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea probably could not do a full job of anointing Jesus' body. So perhaps these women came to finish the job. What is, what is amazing to see here is all hope is lost. Jesus is dead. Yet these faithful women wanted to do something for Jesus. It's just like bringing spices to the tomb could be compared to something like bringing flowers to the grave in our context. They're coming because they just couldn't stay away from Jesus. Genuine love, genuine devotion when everything seemed lost. I've been saying for the last two or three messages, what an example these women have set forth for us. They just couldn't be away from Jesus. Matthew goes on to describe what most likely happened. This earthquake probably happened on their way to the tomb or maybe it happened while they were there. I tend to lean on the earthquake happening as they were on their way, but it's not a point we need to uh, divide over. Anyway, verse 2 explains this to us. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Only Matthew of all the gospel writers give us a record of this earthquake. The second in the span of three days. Remember when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. Now, there's an earthquake. And this is not an ordinary earthquake. It's a supernatural one. How do we know that? Because notice how this text reads. There was a violent earthquake for or because an angel came down from heaven. So it's connected with the angels coming. The angel coming itself is a supernatural event. And there's this cosmic sign here, earthquake, because this is a earth-shattering event. His death was earth-shattering, and even more so was his resurrection. The Bible often talks about earthquakes accompanying God's judgment or his victory. And in some cases, it's both, judgment and victory. Here, I believe it was both victory and judgment. How so? 
Victory because death has been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. And also judgment on all who continue to reject Jesus. So that victory, comfort, warning, comfort, warning. Notice what the angel did as soon as he descended. He went to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I mentioned to you, this is not a small stone. It's a big one that would go on a slope to seal the tomb to protect the dead body. But it wasn't a problem for one angel. Just rolled it. Effortless. And Matthew says he sat on it. That's a picture of victory. Victory. It was the rolling of the stone was not for Jesus' body to be taken out, for people to go in to see the tomb is empty. That's why the Stone was moved. Jesus had already been risen. So it's not for him to escape as some false teachings still prevail. Matthew goes on to describe the angel. It says his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow, appearing in all glory. Mark and Luke tell us the presence of a second angel. Matthew only talks about one angel. Mark Luke talk about an angel inside the tomb. So it's not like they're saying there was only one angel. Matthew's, uh, Matthew's focus is more on the one angel that was outside, probably the more, uh, the more talkative one. It's not a contradiction. Each gospel writer always gives his perspective on what he felt was more significant of the event. So there's no contradiction here. But notice the reaction of the guards. Verse 4, the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. That word shook is the same word translated earthquake earlier. So not only was the earth shaken, but these Roman guards, guards that were used to tough battles, guards that weren't given to fear easily, they were shaking. They were shaking. Just think about this. At the presence of one angel, they're shaking. Imagine seeing the creator of thousands of these angels when he comes in judgment. If you are far away from Jesus, that's what you're going to have to face. That would be a fear that you would never ever face this side life. So please, please keep that in your mind. They froze. Matthew then shifts his attention from the guards to the woman. They were also gripped with fear upon seeing an angelic being. It's not like every day angels were coming and giving visitations to people in all their glory. So the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. The first words addressed from heaven was, don't be afraid. That's the first. This is heaven speaking. Stop being afraid conveys the idea better. There might even have been a hint of rebuke here. It's like, he told you before. It's going to be raised from the dead. Your continuous search for a dead body will get you nowhere. He is not here. He has risen. 
or better translated, he has been raised. The Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has raised Jesus. Time and time again, Jesus told in his ministry to his disciples, he would be put to death. And right away, he would follow that with three days later, he would be raised. Death on Friday, Saturday, then Sunday he rose. Some, some folks have an a issue with it's not three full days. But we, we need to understand the language during those days. A part of a day was considered a whole day. So you got part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday. Sometimes we do that. Like for example, what did you do yesterday? For those of us who met together during our fasting prayer time yesterday, we would say, well, I went to church, we had a fasting prayer. That's not what you did all day. You did other things. So this is the way of the language. That's the way it was spoken. So there's no contradiction. Three days later, Jesus said he would be raised. But the disciples' problem, just like us, selective hearing. They did not like about the death part. They couldn't get over it. So the resurrection part completely lost. It's like us. We read the New Testament We like the glory part. We like the heaven part, but we don't like the present suffering. But God's word tells us that. There will be suffering in this world. But I want you to view those times when you suffer through the lens of eternity. What joy awaits you. Let that motivate you to persevere. One more day. One more day. Sometimes it's one more hour, one more minute. So there's no contradiction here in what Jesus said and what happened. Jesus was raised as he predicted. And we can see a note of victory in the angel's words as well. He has been raised. Has been raised. And the angel didn't stop with the resurrection message. Notice what he does. Come and see the place where he lay. He wanted the woman to come and see. The body is not there. Meaning, this was a physical resurrection. Not just spiritual resurrection. He physically, bodily rose from the dead as an empty grave. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior Come and see the place where he lay. Biblical Christianity has always been a come and see for yourself religion. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, twice we are, the disciples are invited. Come and see. John chapter 1, verse 39 and verse 46. Nothing hidden. Everything is transparent. That's one of the reasons Christians distribute Bibles. Why? Because we want people to check it out for yourself. Here, here, we give Bibles. We have literature, all that's spread in the back. Everything we give free of charge. Why? Because there's nothing to hide. We're blessed to give truth to people so you can see for yourself. You can see for yourself. All are invited to check out who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he promises to do. And all that is in one book. And one book only. The Holy Bible. 
The angel continued giving further instructions to the woman. Look at verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Don't waste time. Go quickly, tell his disciples. He has been raised from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. For the second time, the angel repeats the fact. He's been raised. Why? Why this repetition again? He wanted the woman and the disciples by extension and us to believe he has been raised physically. The second part of the angel's message that Jesus would meet them in Galilee was actually something that Jesus himself said earlier in Matthew 26 verse 32. He said, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus also would reiterate the same thing to them in verse 16. We see Jesus meeting with the 11 disciples in Galilee as he gives them what's often called as the Great Commission. It is interesting to note that Jesus did not meet them in Jerusalem. He's buried outside the city. Why is he not meeting them in Jerusalem? Because when Jesus left the temple for the last time, the glory of the Lord departed. Ichabod. Jesus completely bypassed Jerusalem in his resurrection. The appearance of the disciples there. He meets them later on. But he says, that's where I'm going to give you the great commission. It's again a judgment on the nation that turned its back against our Messiah. Notice what happens when the woman, by faith, they believed. They don't question the angel's words. Keep that in mind. They don't question the angel's words. Without hesitation, they obey. Look at verse 8. So the woman hurried away. Go quickly. They hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Don't miss that. Afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. No hesitation. But notice the change in them now. Yes, they had fear. But this is not the kind of fear that the Roman guards had. This was a reverence, awe. It's like, they've just been in the presence of heaven, so to speak. So they're like, you know, let's run as fast as we can. Just running. Reverence. Joy. Overflowing joy. Yes, now they're starting to see the implications of what the Lord said will be raised, overflowing joy. He had defeated death as he said he would. And as they were running to tell or announce to the others that Jesus had been raised from the dead, guess what? These women became the first messengers of the New Testament to proclaim the resurrection. Don't miss that. A woman was the first one Jesus declared that he is the Messiah. John 4. And here again, we find the first messengers of the good news, the glorious gospel, that Christ not only died, but rose again, these women. It's very important to notice that, especially in the context of the times the gospels were written. When people talk about the Bible does not give importance to women and all that, that's not the case at all. If you read your Bibles carefully, Yes, there are still distinct roles. We get that. But what a joy 
this woman running to tell about Jesus' resurrection. Notice what happens as they're on their way. Their faith in the angel's words was rewarded. They had not yet seen the physical Jesus. It's important. But they go to tell, yes, he's been raised. As they go, look at verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Stop there. Imagine the reaction. The last time they saw Jesus, where was he? The cross, beaten, bruised, like a mangled mess. And then buried. Now they see him alive in the flesh. Imagine their joy. I mean, we, we, we can kind of, kind of identify a little bit. You see a, a loved one, you're going to the airport to pick them up. As they walk and come after many years of seeing them, imagine the joy that fills your heart. As I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about, I remember close to 30 years ago, I was talking to Sam yesterday. Where's Sam? Sam's, yeah. Yesterday about, because he's planning to go to India this week. I was talking about one of the trips and typically how guys pack. We need 15 minutes. 20 minutes, even if it's an overseas trip. So I was recalling a moment in 1995 when all I had was about an hour to pack. It was a carry bag I was packing because I was going to go get married. So I was, I was thinking about that. And yesterday as I was reading the message, I remember coming down this little escalator down and because Geeta was by my wife, I was working in the airport. She could have access to come inside. As I'm coming down and she was wearing a white and pink dress. You probably don't even remember. I remember that. So I was looking at that, it's kind of the, but that fades in comparison to this joy. But you, you get the idea. They, they thought, he's raised, okay. They couldn't fully comprehend what, but not, and they go. They're thinking this event is going to happen in Galilee. But wow, suddenly, it, it, it describes that they were not expecting this. Their faith was rewarded. Faith was rewarded. If seeing Jesus was not enough joy, look at the first word that came from Jesus' lips. Greetings. That word greetings is connected with the word joy or rejoice. It's more than a hello. Rejoice. Be joyful. That's the first word from the risen Lord. Joy. Joy. If that's not enough, Look at what comes next from the lips of our Lord. So they hear the word joy. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him before he utters the next word. So what do we see here? From fear to joy to humble worship. Let's not forget that. The idea of the resurrection is to cause us to worship We are created to worship our creator. So the resurrection has moved them to worship. That's the effect of the resurrection of all who follow Jesus. Humble worship. This starts way back from Matthew. Matthew 2, the Magi. Baby Jesus, they worship him. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11. And throughout Matthew, we've been seeing his people worshipped him. And Jesus did not refuse worship. He accepted it. What's the point, you ask? 
because if Jesus was less than God, he would have said, this is idolatry, you cannot worship me. He accepted the worship. Accepted it. And there's, there's no doubt in the minds of these women, not even a hint that the person they saw was Jesus. Are you Jesus? You look like him? Nothing like that. They just bow down, just worship him, clasped his feet, has the idea again, we don't want to let you go. We don't know what might happen to you. We might lose you again. Clasp him. Even in this very same chapter, if you come down to verse 17, we see more than Thomas and the ten that still had doubts after seeing the resurrected Jesus. When they, they're referring to the eleven, based on verse 16, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Again, that shows the reality that this is God's word, because if I'm writing this, I would remove the doubt factor. But it also shows that the Bible describes the raw emotions of even God's people, that they struggle with doubt. It's okay to struggle with doubt, but take the doubts back to Jesus, not move away from him. But these women, again, remarkable because they don't have any doubts. Their faith again shines brightly. They worship Jesus with joy and humility and more importantly, with a fully believing heart. Simple faith, that's what these women had. That's what God asks of you and me. And their faith would be further rewarded as Jesus spoke words of comfort to them. Look at verse 10 as he gives them two commands. There are two commands here. First one, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. That's the first command. Do not be afraid. Second, they were to go tell the other 11 disciples where he would meet them. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Notice Jesus doesn't say, my followers. He calls them his brothers. What's, what's the reason I'm stressing on that? Because these people abandoned him at the cross. At his greatest hour of need, yet Jesus doesn't turn his back on them, does he? He calls them brothers. Jesus never gives up on people. We so quickly give up on people. 80-year-old person accepted the Lord I heard yesterday. Against, against all hope, this dear brother of mine hoped. So he never gives up. Go back to the first command for a moment. Do not be afraid. I mentioned earlier the first word out of the resurrected Jesus' mouth was what? Rejoice. But notice the first command that came from the mouth of the resurrected Lord. Do not be afraid. Why is that do not be afraid present throughout the scriptures? Because we are prone to being afraid. Same thing the angel said, but this time the creator of the angel says this. Vast difference. A life of joy is what I want you to have when you combine rejoice, greetings, do not be afraid. This is what Jesus wants for his people 
to experience a life of joy not given to fear. Doesn't mean a life of joy lacks tears. We are sorrowful yet rejoicing. When we shed tears, we still shed tears of hope. This is not the end. We don't want to live in this broken world even if everything goes well. Because it still has a lot of pain and sorrow. Rejoice. Do not be afraid. On what basis could Jesus say that? Based on his resurrection. Based on his resurrection. Women rush off to obey Jesus' command. While they were on their way to obey Jesus, to glorify him by proclaiming the good news about the resurrection, there was another group also that was on its way to do further evil. Look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, Matthew gives us this contrast here. While the women are on their way, glorifying God, exalting Jesus, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now when the chief priests, these these leaders heard this, you would hope at least now they would have a change of heart. At least now. Perhaps be open to see if Jesus was the Messiah he claimed to be. No. Look at how their wicked, wicked, stubborn, unbelieving hearts responded. Verses 12 and 13. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. What is interesting to note here is this. The Jewish authorities, they never disputed the fact that the body was missing. If it wasn't, they could have produced the body as evidence. But there is no record that they even tried to find the body, which means in their hearts, they knew the resurrection was true. They just didn't want to accept it. That's what will happen when a heart remains in unbelief for long periods of time. It is not that you cannot believe, you will not believe. And when you stay in that path of, I don't want to believe, God will make certain that you cannot believe. That's why it's important not to put off in your decision to follow Jesus. This was willful and settled rejection. They hated our Savior so much. No wonder Jesus called them, you are of your father, children of the devil. John 8. Notice what they came up with. You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Can you see how foolish this plan is? Someone walks up with the guards. Hey, what happened? You know what? We were all sleeping. His disciples came, broke the seal, rolled the heavy stone, took the body with them, and through all this noise, we were still sleeping. But we opened our eyes to see it was the disciples. That's, that's, the, that's, that's what is going on here. How ridiculous is this lie? In fact, it is this lie that proves the resurrection. Right? And just to make sure the guards would be convinced to go with the story, because guards losing 
prisoners, in this case a dead prisoner, a dead body, could end up losing their life. A lot of money. And then they say, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. Don't worry if, if this report gets to the governor. Pilate will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the guards don't question the plan because they're afraid of losing their lives. If only, even at this point, the guards turn from their sin and embrace Jesus Christ because they know he was raised from the dead. Jesus would have taken care of them. Again, they didn't see that. They were so focused on their earthly life. They kept their life temporarily, but they lost their soul for eternity if they had never repented. We don't know what happened to them. But sadly, they went ahead with the lie. So the soldiers, verse 15 says, took the money, did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. When Matthew wrote his gospel, it was about 30, 35 years after the resurrection event, the story was still being circulated, which means unbelieving hearts would believe any lie to convince themselves that they're right in the rejection of Jesus, no matter how ridiculous that is. Today we have many other lies floating about the resurrection. I could talk all about that, but I want to keep the focus right on this passage here. So Matthew doesn't get beyond that and he ends the resurrection account and next he will run into the Great Commission. As I mentioned in the beginning, we see these two responses, don't we? Two responses. So this fear surrounding the resurrection events. One, it's a word of comfort. Don't be afraid. Another one, silence, which is a warning, a severe warning. Let's look at the first one, comfort. If you are here as a true follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not asking which church you go to or any of that. If you're truly born again, you repented of your sins. It doesn't matter if you remember the day or not. If you, Today as you're sitting here, if you put your faith in Jesus and you continue to rest in him, then it's comfort. See, the ultimate fear of all humanity is death. Satan has wielded that weapon of death to hold people captive for centuries. But Jesus, by defeating death and conquering the grave, assures his people, you no longer need to live in fear about death and judgment. I took the judgment you deserved. I died in your place. You don't have to be afraid of death. Even though you will physically die, unless I return when you're still alive, death will not have the final say. You will be in my presence the next second, next millisecond after you die. That's why the New Testament describes when Believers, true believers die, described as they fallen asleep. For the believer, it's like a sleep. You close your eyes, you wake up in the Lord's presence. All because of Jesus conquering the grave. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews chapter 2, it may help you to turn to it. I'll give you the page number in a moment here. Or you can follow along. Hebrews chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up from verse 14, page 17, 
5. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, page 1705, in the very bottom on the right side of the page there. The writer says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those, look at verse 15, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Notice what Jesus' resurrection has accomplished. His incarnation, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Verse 15, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. What will happen in the afterlife? What will happen to me? For the believer that fears God. Yes, it's legitimate fear. We don't want to suffer. We're not talking about those things. Lord, who will take care of me in my older years? What happens if my body breaks? We're not talking about that. But Isaiah 46, 4, God says, I created you, I will carry you. But this fear talks about afterlife, death, judgment. But Jesus, by his resurrection, has broke that power. No longer can the accuser hold that over our heads. Not because we are strong, we are tough and resolute, because by simple faith we believe. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Simple faith. No more. No less. No wonder the Apostle Paul would say at the end of what people consider as the greatest chapter in all of the New Testament, all of the Bible, Romans 8, he would say this at the end, for I am convinced once for all, I stand convinced, that's the idea, immovable, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Paul doesn't say, Paul doesn't say our love to God because our love is fickle. He says the love of God that he gives, that he shows to us through Christ whom he raised from the dead. Again, our joy, our confidence does not lie in our ability to persevere. It, it lies on the God who said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. You are safe. You are safe. That's what the resurrection does for us. Jesus' resurrection, that power which raised Christ from the dead, that power flows in the lives of his followers through the indwelling spirit. No wonder Paul could say, where, O death, is your sting? Grave, you've lost your power. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ shattered the grave. Death suffered the ultimate defeat in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The worst that can happen to us is death. Forced. But yet, for the true born again believer, true Christian, death 
starts the best of our eternal life, doesn't it? It's the gateway to eternal glory, eternal peace, eternal rest with our Savior. Because I live, you also live. You also will live. John 14, 19 is a promise Jesus has given to all his followers. We forget that promise. That is why we find ourselves overwhelmed with fear, depression, discouragement. Go back to the empty tomb. Go back to the cross that reveals his love for you, for me. And go back to the empty tomb where we have this glorious hope. Our Lord will not let us go. But God knows, our Father knows we're made of dust. We are weak. That is why he reminds us again and again, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Let's learn to take God's word to heart. Like these women. It's not doubt. In simple faith, go back again and again. Remind ourselves that Jesus will keep us in his nail-pierced hands. My sheep will not perish. It's the promise he's given. He will never leave us, but take us home safely. Unfortunately, that is not the promise given to those of you sitting here who are not yet followers of Jesus. For you, heaven's response is a severe warning. No words of comfort offered because it breaks my heart to say this, but I have to say this because the word of God compels me to say this. All that awaits you if you continue to remain in unbelief is judgment. It's judgment. The resurrection of Jesus means that you will face his judgment in the future when he comes as the judge. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. Page 1581. Sorry, 1580. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. The resurrection of Jesus now qualifies him to come back as the judge or proves that he will be coming back as a judge. Look at verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Notice that all people everywhere. In this room, there are at least people from seven nationalities. Includes every single one of us. That's the point. And beyond. God commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Stop there for a moment. He has set a day. It's the father. Set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is this man? Look at the next part of verse 31. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him. This man appointed as the judge from the dead. So Jesus is that judge. By raising him from the dead, the father declares to the world, he will come back to judge. And the only way to be ready for that, to avoid it really, go back to the last part of verse 30. Repent. That's the only way. Repent. 
If you don't repent, the resurrection will leave you with fear and trembling all the days of your life, all eternity, to the point where there will be no relief. A fear that you've never ever experienced is what awaits you. This same Jesus who offers himself as a savior to you today will come back as a judge. It will be too late on that day. You will be in so much fear, far more fear than those guards as you hear those chilling words coming from the lips of the same Jesus who would say, get away from me. You who refused to come to me on my terms, you who chose to live in sin and unbelief, go into your eternal destruction, the lake of fire, where you will consciously suffer forever. How tragic it would be for you to hear those final words from Jesus. All because you willfully and stubbornly want to hold on to your sins. All because you think you're good enough to make it to heaven on your own. Can you make it to heaven on your own? No. No. If you can, why would Jesus have to come and die on the cross? Even one sin makes you a sinner. How can you, a sinner, then make it to heaven on your own? You may say, well, I'm not as bad as so and so. But the issue is this. God does not judge based on comparing your life with others worse than you. He compares your life with the holy standard he has set. His holy standard is not one sin. Not one. Which means even one sin disqualifies us from heaven. That's why we need Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. He alone lived that perfect life and made that one perfect sacrifice on the cross, which was accepted by the Father. How do we know the Father accepted it? He raised his son from the dead, saying, price has been paid in full. The resurrection, it's been said, is the Father's amen to Jesus' words, it is finished. Yes, my son, indeed, he paid the price, I've accepted it. I'm raising you from the dead. Listen, only Jesus, the Savior, can save you from Jesus the judge. No one else can. So run to him. Fall at his feet. Acknowledge that you have sinned against him. Plead for his forgiveness. He will forgive you. He will make you a new person. He will send the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you working in you that resurrection power and most importantly he will make you worship him with a sense of fear joy and humility he will drive all your fears away including the greatest fear the fear of death and judgment please don't stop come to him today from where you are in your own words say Lord I'm a mess. But you welcome people who are messed up. Help me to come and find new life. Forgive me. There's no formula, nothing. Cry out to God. Everyone who cries out to the Lord 
will be saved is a promise from heaven. Please, don't leave. Don't even go to the parking lot because Satan specializes in taking away the seed. Please, come as you are. He won't leave you where you are. He will start the changing work. So please, Lord, would you draw people, those who are far away from you, to come and see your son, the one who died and who was raised again, the one who offers life to all who would come to him. Please, would you bring them to yourself and those in whose hearts you have done that work, Lord, help us. May our lives, entire lives, be a life of worship. Every aspect of it. You are worthy, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for all that you have done, that you are doing and you have promised to do in our lives. Forgive us. We often don't live in the light of these glorious realities that awaits us. Help us from today to live a purposeful and deliberate life that realizes what glory awaits us and not to waste our lives pursuing empty things as we go through this temporary life, this pilgrimage. <coughs> Please, work in our hearts through your spirit. For your glory we pray. Amen.